You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Katie's season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up? Podcast number 242 is here. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Great show for you this week. We have Kate Casey from the Reality Life Podcast up on the podcast this week. We talk about a lot of things. We talk about The Bachelorette. We talk about rumors within The Bachelorette world. But we also dive into a lot of other shows that she watches, I watch as well. And I wanted to kind of get off The Bachelorette after about the first, I think, 25 or 30 minutes we start talking about other shows, my thoughts on other shows. I have a favorite housewife in the housewife franchise, but you'll see me explain to Kate, I know nothing about her whatsoever. I've never seen her on one episode. So we get into that. She gives me a whole background on uh, of her. Um, not that I'm trying to date her or anything. She's married with kids, so nothing like that. But uh, we, we have a lot of fun talking about uh, game shows. We talk about other shows. And, uh, you know, Bachelorette to start out with. So we'll get to that momentarily. I want to discuss what's coming out today, which is Bachelor in Paradise is releasing their original cast. By the time you listen to this, it might have already been released. Um, I'm recording this open on Wednesday night, so it has not been released yet. But they're going to release the original cast today. Now, based on my notes and my spoilers, Here's the original cast that I have. I'm missing, I think, one woman from the first night that we won't see, that we'll see in the cast tomorrow that I'm not going to release right now. So I know the four women that are eliminated on the first episode um, are uh, Victoria Paul, who goes home before the first row ceremony because she got called out for having a boyfriend, Kelsey Weir, Victoria Larson, Serena Chu. Kelsey Weir was from Peter's season. Victoria Paul, also from Peter's season. Victoria Larson and Serena Chu are from Matt's season. The other women that are on the first night, uh, the, that are first day people that will be in the cast release today, is Deandra Canoe, who was, I believe she was Peter's season. Jesenia Cruz, who was Matt's season. Mari Pepin, Matt's season. Abigail Herringer, Matt's season. Uh, Tammy Lai, Peter's season. Demi Burnett. Anyway, the um, so I'm missing one woman. Now, you know that Becca Kufrin is on the show. I don't think she's going to be announced today when the cast is released because she is not a first-day cast member. She shows up before the first cocktail party slash rose ceremony happens, or maybe she shows up at the cocktail party before the rose ceremony. I know she shows up before the first rose ceremony happens, so she does get a rose, at the first rose ceremony, but it looks like when the cast is released today, it's just going to be the people that you're going to see on day one. They usually don't release the people who come in after day one. So my guess is you won't see Becca in that initial release today. You'll see Kelsey, Victoria Paul, Victoria Larson, Serena Chu, DeAndre Canoe, Jacenia Cruz, Mari Pepin, Abigail Herringer, Tammy Lai, Demi, and I'm missing one girl. And the reason I know that is because the guys you will see announced for sure, are Kenny Brash, Noah Herb, and Ivan Hall, because they were on last summer's Bachelorette. However, the other five guys, 
Well, there's five other guys that I believe are part of the day one cast, but they're all from the current season that's airing, and only one of them has been eliminated, and that's Carl. So Carl will definitely be in the announced in the cast tomorrow. Or I keep saying tomorrow, but I'm recording this. You're listening on Thursday. Carl will definitely be in the in the cast release today. But Aaron Clancy, Thomas Gibson, James Bonsell, and Trey, I forget Trey's last name. They are all initial they are all day oneers on Paradise. But none of them have been eliminated from Katie's season yet. So I highly doubt they will be announced in the cast. Maybe they will. They've never done that before in the past. They've always left it as when they announce that Bachelor in Paradise cast list, the guys who are currently still in the running on the season of The Bachelorette that's airing, they have just left those as silhouettes and said, we'll fill those in later. So my guess is if if they keep with tradition, the guys you will see in the cast list today will be Carl, Ivan, Kenny, and Noah while Aaron, Thomas, James, and Trey uh, are the ones who will be added in. So that's it. Eight guys, 12 women, and I've given you 11 of the women. I'm missing somebody who was original cast. Maybe it's, let me think here. I think Serena Pitt is initial cast. So maybe she's the 12th, but Joe doesn't, Joe's, Grocery Joe is not initial cast, so that means, and I don't know if he came in right before Rose Ceremony number one or if he came in after, so it's a little bit confusing because it's day one versus who came in after day one, which means you're still there for the first Rose Ceremony. So if I had to guess, I'd say Serena Pitt is the 12th woman that is part of initial cast. Just looking at the names here, um, yeah. I gotta believe it's Serena, which means the first rose she gets, because the guys give out roses on the first rose ceremony, and the first rose she gets, unless Joe came in before the first rose ceremony, which I don't think he did. Unless Joe, I mean, shit, maybe Joe's a maybe Joe's initial cast, and we're looking at nine women, uh, nine men, and thirteen women to start the show. I think that's a bit much. They've never started with. 22 people so i don't know but you know the basic names of definitely tomorrow for sure kelsey victoria paul victoria larson serena chu deandra jesenia mari abigail becca or not becca sorry uh tammy and demi will definitely be announced and then probably serena pitt and then the only four guys that i know for sure carl ivan kenny noah because Aaron, Thomas, James, and Trey have not been eliminated from Katie's season yet. So we'll see. By the time you listen to this, the answer will probably already be out there. I'll put it up on my Instagram story. I'll put it up on Twitter when they send the cast list out. So just wanted to uh, give you that a little bit of update on Bachelor in Paradise. But let's just get to it with podcast number uh, 242, Kate Casey, the Reality Life Podcast. You know where you love her. She's, I think, the first person I've interviewed twice in the year 2021. I think she was on back in February. And this is probably her third or fourth time on the podcast. She's great to talk to, and we dive into a lot of other stuff that's not necessarily Bachelor, Bachelorette related. So here we go, podcast number 242. 
All right, here she is. She's been on this podcast a multitude of times, and here she is again. She's got her own podcast, Reality Life with Kate Casey. It's Kate Casey. How are you? I'm great. Love chatting with you always. Do you? <laughs> I do. Okay. She's kind of like a TV lover like I am, and yeah, it's fun. It's fun when somebody else watches a prodigious amount of TV the way that you and I do. And, we, and we've talked about this in the past, but it's fascinating to me because you have five kids, right? I do, yep. How do you get so much TV watching done with five children in your household running around? I am a very, very good multitasker. I am very good at figuring out pockets of time. So, you know, if I'm waiting in line for a practice to end or anything, I'm maximizing that time to read emails, watch screeners. Um, Because I get a lot of screeners, I get to work around my schedule. I do a lot of TV watching at night once the kids have gone to bed. Yes. Um, But, you know, this is my full-time job. So, you know, this is my job to watch a lot of TV. Do your kids participate in any of this? Do you let them sit in on anything that you watch? Some of it, yes. I mean, if I'm interviewing the executive producer of like American Ninja Warrior, they're going to want to watch the screener or I'd like to show them to get their input. Um, There are lots of shows that they are into. Nailed It on Netflix is something that they really enjoyed. But most of the stuff that I think I've done in the last, especially the last two years, has become even more and more um, cerebral and investigative and ha- a lot to do with complicated topics that it's less – I'm less inclined to have them watch them. But there are certainly shows that they do watch, yes. People ask me this but all the time. A lot of people – by the way, a lot of people think – you know, God, how could you do anything with five kids? But I like to think that if you want something done, you give it to the woman who has five kids. Like we get shit done. <laughs> That's true. It's one way to look <laughs> at it. Yeah. You know, I, I get asked this all the time and I'm 241 podcasts in and people ask me like, who are yeah. some of your favorite guests that you've had? And it's like, I don't like naming guests that I think are my favorite because automatically it turns into, well, what about this person? It's like, look, I just maybe forgot them. I've had 241. I granted quite a few have been well, repeats I, or whatever, but I, do you have any? I also think, for, I also think for you, it's difficult because you have focused so much on um, the bachelor nation world. And yeah. I think that it's easy for somebody to get upset because you have commanded so much of that space and that they are under the assumption that if you are covering them a lot, that you play favorites, which it isn't, isn't actually the truth at all. Well, somebody else said it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, I, I never, I don't think you play favorites at all for me. Yeah. I definitely have the absolute favorite guests. Um, totally. I mean, I have a list of like my favorites, but I mean, off the top of my head, it's surprising the ones, my favorite episode of all time is episode 121. And I always remember the number because it's my favorite, but I I interviewed the executive producer of rock of love with Brett Michaels and flavor of love with flavor flame. And that episode made me laugh so hard that I had tears running down my face. And you know, when you're laughing so hard, it's like that guttural laugh. Yeah, I had that. Um, I love Marcus Limonis from CNBC's The Prophet because he opened up about adoption and his own experience as a sexual assault victim, which I thought was pretty profound for a man, let alone a man in business to talk about. Um, I've loved my athletic ones, like the executive producer of the Tiger documentary or the last dance about the Bulls. But um, 
know, some of the housewives interviews have been really fascinating. Um, a, a lot of the executive producer interviews that I've done have been really interesting. So I'm interviewing people like in front of and behind the camera. And sometimes surprisingly, the ones behind the camera are the most compelling. Yeah, it is interesting because people have asked me all the time about, you know, as you said, cover mostly bachelor and bachelorette and in the history of history, I haven't heard one bachelor or bachelorette former producer ever do an interview. I think because they know, look, if I do one, I'm not going to be able to give away any secrets anyway. So, but I mean, literally these are the people that control edits. They control narratives on the show and we know what they do behind the scenes to manipulate and cajole people into doing things. And, um, I've never heard one do an interview and I'm sure somebody would like to talk to one someday, but I'm talking about an actual in-depth sit down. Hey, oh, I would love that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? I would love to interview Mike Fleiss. I'd love to oh, interview. God, he would never speak about it. <laughs> anybody involved with the show, because I also think that, you know, just to talk about the pop culture relevance of the, ba- of the bachelor over the last 20 years is pretty profound. Um, so I would love to have the opportunity. I hope it's sometime that that happens. The closest I think someone can get or has gotten would be when Robert Mills used to do a lot of interviews. He hasn't done one since the whole Chris Harrison scandal. But Robert Mills, the executive producer of the show and in charge of alternate uh, television programming at, at ABC, you know, he he's pretty open, but he's only open to a certain extent. He is. I'm talking about he's like the overseer producer of the show. I'm talking about a producer who is literally on set every season and gets people to do and say things in ITMs that everyone questions. Like, why would they say something like that? Why would they do something like that? I, that's the producer that I want to talk to, but those people, those people will never talk on record because this is a business where you have to keep things private and they will lose jobs in the future. If they go on a podcast and talk about how reality TV is really made. So it sucks. Well, I, also, I mean, I, I could kind of imagine that it's very similar being the, the producer of The Bachelor as it is to something like The Housewives, because it's a lot of managing egos, but also reminding people why they even agree to do the opportunity in the first place. So it's a lot of hand-holding, talking people off the cliff, building them up. It's a lot of emotional work that goes into being a producer of a show like that. Yeah. No, it definitely is, and I... Maybe someday, maybe when the show is long gone, people will, you know, speak up about it. People that get out of the industry. But as long as somebody is still working in that industry, and you know how these reality TV shows producers work. They just go from show to show. You just kind of... Now, there are some established shows where you literally only work on that show, but it's a lot of them are a lot of freelance where they're like, I'm just looking for an opportunity. And they'll be like, oh, I'm working on this season of, of this show, but then I'm hopping over to this season of this show. And... um. So maybe. You know, I did, interview, I did interview an editor of The Bachelor, and that was quite funny, um, John Collins, because he he's the one that is sitting in the, the editing room and just looking through hours and hours of footage to figure out what's the most noteworthy. And he basically said there is a prodigious amount of footage of them talking about, like, lip gloss and things that are so benign but it, that's what makes up the most of the filming that they're doing a lot of just sitting around and talking about really sort of boring things. Yeah. You could say that again, especially when we're on <laughs> uh, one location shoots and they're not traveling and the dates are not nearly as extravagant. 
as we talk about KD season, let's let's first talk about that. KD I season. Mean, is that <laughs> is that the most depressing looking resort you've ever seen? I mean, every time they do the overshot in the beginning, I'm like, that looks like a prison in the middle of a desert. Yeah. See, you know, we can talk about La Quinta when Claire and Tasha film there. At least it's Palm Springs. It's golf courses. It's like okay, yeah. you know, you're you're in front. You're you live in Southern California. I grew up in Southern California. Very familiar with La Quinta. It's a nice resort. I don't know how great it came across on television, but it's a nice resort in and of itself. Matt's James season, the resort in Emma Colon was awesome. Like that place looks like I'm sure they they did well on travel uh, once that show got off the air. The Grand Tamaya in (laughs) Albuquerque, New Mexico, (laughs) I don't think is shining at all. Heather McDonald's my girlfriend and she called me while she was filming. It was like super under wraps That's right. and, swore, yeah. and swore me to secrecy. And so she calls me and we do like FaceTime from the balcony and I, it looked not so bad with the pool in the background. I was like, it's not because the, you know, she had to quarantine for a little bit. I was like, actually that looks kind of nice. But then when you see it on TV, it looks horrendous. So maybe it's like one of those things where if you're there, it looks a little bit less hellacious. I think one of the things that they're having the problem with in these one location shoots, whether it's La Quinta or whether it's Nemecolon or whether it's the Grand Tamaya, is is the dates in and of themselves. Because there's just, you know, I you watch this week's episode, I think, right? You watch? Yeah, I did, okay. of course. Yeah. So, so Andrew and Katie's date is like, let's take a lantern and just walk into the woods and we strown a bunch of lights up in the trees and here's your date. Like, I'm sorry, that doesn't do anything for me in terms of accentuating what the Grand Maya is all about. You put lights in trees. Like, who cares? It's not a date. Or uh, they're really playing up that she loves the outdoors and I'm always wondering, does she really like camping or they – want to make these dates so centric in the outdoors because the resort itself is so depressing that after she gets engaged to whomever, or, you know, we know who it is. Um, but you know, afterwards she's gonna be like, I gotta be honest with you. I absolutely hate camping. And they're like, wait a minute. This whole damn show was about how you and your father used to go out and like catch fish. And she's like, yeah, I, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I have no idea what Katie's likes and dislikes are. I just think it's really tough to accentuate what the Grand Tamaya is all about by these dates. I mean, last night, you know, just for example, as we recorded this on Tuesday, last night is is a is a basketball slash football slash just go out was, and tackle somebody for for the hell of it. Now, was, how do you how do you feel about that? Because they were basically wearing meatball huggers and they're wearing they're playing this stupid game, but. How do you, I mean, listen, if they made a bunch of women wear skimpy bikinis and play water polo or not water polo, but like, you know, some sort of grassy basketball game, I'd be like, these producers are so gross. I'd have to think that some of those guys were like, this is like mortifying. Well, we've seen them do bikini stuff. We've seen them do lingerie pillow fights. So, I mean, I I guess that's the female equivalent of what the guys do. It is, but remember... Erica Rose has been pretty outspoken about how they made them all wear bikinis and then they had to choose which was the hottest person. I mean, that is like you look back at that and you're like, that is so horrible. Yeah, that that happened on Bachelor Pad. And that was so I mean, at the time, again, this goes back to kind of the stuff that we're dealing with and kind of the stuff that I've dealt with in the last couple months, Um, you know, at a time when 
Bachelor Pad, that was season two, I believe, aired. I think that was 2011 or 12. It was more looked at as, yeah, that man, that sucks. But nobody, like, there wasn't an uproar about a competition where the guys threw eggs at the girls that they deemed the least attractive in the house. God well, forbid think, that was a date I, right now. That show would be well, canceled. And it should be canceled because it's like blatant misogyny. It's it's really terrible. But fortunately, I think television's changing and yeah. the world's changing and people are a little bit more apt to understand the lasting ramifications of uh, putting a woman in a bikini and allowing a gross guy and a contestant on a show to berate her for body fat is like, absolutely bonkers yeah and it was it happened back then it happened on that date the interesting thing is and this is more of a strategic play and i and i get why i mean look production lined those girls up and they put erica on the end i've spoken to guys that were on that season and basically they said look we all threw the eggs at Erica because she was on the end. It's not harder to hit. It's easier to hit a target of some girl that's standing on the end who's got only one girl to the left of her versus aiming for a girl in the middle. Even if we thought the girl in the middle was the least attractive, we're not going to throw an egg at her because we might hit somebody else. And I was I like, know, but okay. We, but still, but, it doesn't make it weird, right. I'm just saying. Yeah, but weird that they weren't like, okay, this is really gross. Like, oh, no. They participate. But they were under the impression that they had no power for those that in the, you know, the minority that may have felt like this is pretty gross, yeah. that they didn't feel like they had any power. And I'm hoping that over time, these contestants are understanding that they've got more power and because of, you know, the world we live in now. Yeah. And by no means was I trying, I'm not excusing what they did. I'm just relaying what the guys told me. Uh, that were on that season that I've been told privately, like why it was easiest to go after the girl on the end because they wanted to win and it was easier to hit a target when you only had one person to the left of them. So I was like, yeah, but still the same concept applies of why was that not, why wasn't there an uproar on it? I get it. We were different times. It was 2011, 2012. We were just in different times, objectifying women, uh, making fun of women uh, by looks, accentuating their body, that's what humor or edgy stuff was on television back then. I mean, look, the, you yeah. talked about two shows earlier, um, Rock of Love and uh, Flavor Flav. All that show did was objectify women. Oh, absolutely. The other thing that I've noticed that's changed about The Bachelors, I remember when, um, and I think that Ben Higgins sort of personifies the what, what was con- perceived as the the perfect kind of bachelor, that you know he'd never been married before, he comes from a cookie-cutter family, He's, you know, quasi-religious. He's just looking, you know, for the woman that he can marry and have this perfect family. And and that's not a knock on Ben Higgins. I just think that that was what they thought the American public really wanted was this perfect, like, picture frame kind of situation. And I remember when he went to meet Lauren's family and she's introducing him to her parents and that they've got, like, a cross on the bookshelf behind. And it was all, like, you know, I want somebody whose parents are still married because my parents have been married forever. And I would think, and it seems to be that most of the contestants felt like they had to wedge themselves into a certain personality to meet the needs of the bachelor who was seemingly perfect. Mm -hmm. And I do think that it's been great over time that more of these contestants are able to reveal things that are very personal, that are not, um, you know, perfect on paper. And that, you can be more an more authentic version of yourself 
And I think Katie is an example of the, uh, the way that she's been able to express how she feels about her own sexuality and the experiences that she's had. And I do think it's great that the contestants um, in this season have been able to be more open about their own. Like Michael A. in previous seasons, they would have been like, well, he's a widow. I mean, he's kind of like, well, he's already been married. So that's kind of a bummer. Like, it's not going to be this perfect television experience where someone's never been married and this is their one true love. So I do think that that has gotten better about the show. We bring that up about Katie, and I wanted to talk to you about that. As as a woman, it sounds like you are very pro her talking about her sexual assault from 10 years ago on television. So you're in favor of the way they're I'm handling favor- it? I'm in favor of a woman having a voice. Mm -hmm. So whatever that may be, that she has power over her life experiences, that she does not feel like she has to, um, like I said, wedge herself into some sort of personality to meet the needs of a network or the contestants. It seems to me that she is a very solid person who has had a lot of interesting life experiences and is at a point in her life where she feels very strong in her convictions and she's given the platform to, to, to talk about it. And the wonderful thing about that is because as small as it seems to talk about those things on TV, the reality is she's emboldening so many other young women who have had similar experiences to feel um, proud of who they are, proud of having life experiences and that they can seek and find long and lasting relationships. And that, the shame is on the person that committed the act and not the person that's the victim of it. The other thing she said earlier this season that I think has gone against probably the previous 17 bachelorettes is the fact that she was talking to one guy. I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about kids in the future and she wasn't like, Oh yeah, I can't wait to have three kids and the perfect white picket fence. Yeah, That was great. She was was like, look, if the guy that I'm with wants to have kids, I'm down for it. But if they don't want to have kids, it's not a deal breaker. I think I would be that fine with wonderful. not having. And we've yeah, never heard that from a bachelorette, ever. That, but that's so important because yeah. young women need to hear that. And women that have not had children need to hear that, too. Like, you know, The, the Bachelor is not this show that's constructed to have the cookie-cutter life because that just doesn't is not representative of women in general. It just is not. So... I think that the the burden on a lot of these shows is to modernize. Um, we see it in The Bachelor. We see it in that Real Housewives. We see it in a lot a lot of shows. And you know the world is changing, and you have to change it um, in accordance to what the audience is hungry for. And who you know who the the best unscripted shows are give us all a a, a different lens through which we see ourselves and other people in the world. So I think. That's great. I do think that The Bachelor needs to modernize her show in other ways, though. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think beyond just, you know, race and sexuality issues, I do think it would be fun if they went back and did The Mole like they did in Jesse's season, um, because I thought that was so funny. The idea of, like, there's somebody who's spying on them and pretending to be a contestant and you don't know who it is. And I actually am friends with Jessica who won that season. Mm. And I, when I first met her, I was like, you, there's no way that you can tell me that that girl, Jesse's best friend's wife wasn't in love with Jesse. And she's like, no, she's actually salt of the earth, like such a cool woman because they did play it up. They made it seem like maybe she might have feelings for Jesse and that's why she's here. 
But now in retrospect, I'm like, that would be pretty funny if they had one or two moles in the season, because then it would reveal all these other layers of like, not only are you trying to trust the bachelor or the bachelorette, but can you trust the other contestants? Because you don't know what the reasons that they're there or may not just be like they want to be an Instagram star, but also that they're trying to protect the bachelor or bachelorette. I think that'd be pretty funny. I agree. I think they could bring it back as long as the contestants don't do a deep dive on the lead and study who all their friends are. And the second that person walks in on the first night, someone figures it out like, Oh, this, I saw this on his Instagram. Like, no, this is, this is his buddy. It's possible that that could happen. That's a good point. We, so we, we really have to find somebody plucked from obscurity because, and I do think that that would be more fun. And I, and I understand that television networks think, well, if we get somebody like a Matt James who has this unbelievable TikTok platform already, and that's great because once the show airs, then we've got, you know, this assured new audience that wants to grow with us. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that just because somebody is a star on YouTube or Instagram, that necessarily means they'll be a good lead. I kind of like if they maybe went back and did something like that, where they pluck somebody from obscurity where you're like, wait, who is this? And like, where do they come from? And that the audience is learning about this person just in the same way that the contestants are versus like, we already know that, you know, you know, Hannah Brown lives in this town and this is who her previous, you know, romantic partners were and why she wasn't successful. Like it's kind of fun to peel back the layer and and to learn as, as we go too. So I want to talk real quickly about a couple of rumors that popped up this weekend that I think are garbage and I can't imagine there's any truth to them. Maybe it was a slow news day over the weekend. They needed to see entertainment sites needed some clicks, but two things popped up. One, Chris Harrison being a contestant on the next season of dancing with the stars and two, Julianne Huff in talks to be the next bachelorette. I don't think there's anything to though either of those stories. I think they're both garbage. I think it's just, somebody doing clickbait stories. Um, Chris Harrison just signed a $10 million NDA to never speak about this franchise ever again. I I can't see why he would go back on an AB. I know it's not the same production team that does dance with the stars that does bachelor, but I just can't see him appearing on ABC TV, you know, cha-cha-chaing, you know, into our living rooms on Monday nights. I I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that, but I do. And I, there was a rumor that, that he also wanted to create a bachelor adjacent show. I don't see that. I feel like, I mean, he has had so many great years working on the show and has done so well. I would think that the next chapter for him, I could see him doing something where it aligns more of the things that he likes to do in his free time. So like a show about golf or, travel or something based in texas where he's moving yeah. I, I mean i could see the writing on the wall that they were probably going to replace him before matt season aired because i think that um a lot of these networks are constantly under the pressure of how do we like i said modernize this show and you know chris had been on quite some time i don't i can't see him wanting to do another romance show it no. seems to me that he'd be like you know like my kids are in college now like i want to move on to something new yeah, I don't see it. Um, now, Julianne Huff would be an excellent bachelorette. I don't know if it's true, but I could see them behind the behind the scenes going, you know, she's interesting. She's like a modern kind of, you know, perspective on love, the way that she's really outspoken about her sexuality and um, the fact that she's already 
familiar to people. She's from a famous family. She's got this extraordinary talent. Um, I think that in the end, people are uh, interested in celebrities and are in reality shows because they want to learn something about them that they don't already know. And I think that the idea for many people of learning more about her romantic life probably would be quite enticing. But like I said, and you said, you have to think about the contractual obligations, like who the production company is and who she may or may not have already been aligned with and what other projects she's working on. And it's pretty easy to figure out whether or not that's even a possibility. Yeah, it just doesn't seem within the concept of this show and how they like to present this show. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because for 42 seasons, they've given us average people, not saying average looking. I'm just saying the average person who decided to apply online they've never gone the celebrity route because i don't think anyone really really believes that julianne huff needs to come on the bachelorette to find a date this girl dated ryan seacrest for three years she 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 dated a country music singer that that chuck wick guy and she she was married to a pro hockey player like do we really think she's going to choose between 25 guys that filled out applications online she might have it be it could be a really great launching pad if you've got products in the line that you want to promote or anything else. I I, I never put it past a celebrity seeing an opportunity for, you know, to use it as a platform. I mean, Kanye West like liked to be on Keeping Up with the Kardashians because it helped sell shoes. You know, he yeah. likes the concerts because it sells merchandise. So, I mean, the savviest celebrities realize the, the platforms and the value of it. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them, but I, you know, I kind of think it would be interesting to explore and many disagree with me, but like the fact that Michael A is this grieving widow, I would assume that, that people would be very enticed by the idea of a, a widow becoming the bachelor and like him finding love. The fact that he was taping a show on his, you know, his wife's birthday. I think people are, were taken with that, especially last night. And we're like, well, that might be interesting to see somebody's second chapter at love. Yeah. We had Jason Mesnick who was a single dad, but we never had a widowed yeah, right? before. Yeah. So my only thing was, and I, I wrote about this today is when it comes to Michael, it looked like, you know, he's, Everyone has America's seemingly fallen in love with this guy and, you know, seems like a good guy and obviously has a backstory that is one of the better backstories you could ever have for a possible future lead of this show. My thing is, though, we know that this show, no matter how old the bachelor is that they cast, whether it was Brad Womack when he was his second time around and he was 38 and Nick and Ari were both mid 30s when they were bachelor, they still will cast the majority of their female cast is 24 to 28 year olds and are 24 to 28 year olds interested in moving to Ohio to become um, a stepmom. I mean, that's what they're going to have to sell because I'm under the impression that Michael isn't leaving Ohio and we know what the show has turned into. It's all about Instagram branding and stuff like that. And Maybe you cast one or two that are interested in doing that, but you know the rest of the show is just going to be a bunch of women that eventually were more interested in going on Paradise and hooking up with guys from other seasons than, yeah, I'm I'm interested in 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 being with this guy who, while he might be a great guy, it you're you're taking on a lot more I, than I going on The Bachelor be- with Michael as The Bachelor as opposed to, you know, just a single guy who doesn't have, you know, children and a a, a and is a widow. 
Well, I do think that there are parts of the country where being 24 to 28 is not really that surprising to want to be married. Um, Melissa Rycraft told me that when she uh, became a contestant on Jason's season, she was like, oh, I'm an old widow. Like, oh, not lack of a better term. Like, I'm an old spinster. Yeah. Um, because I, my friends are all getting married. So there's that. But I also think you have to be clever in the casting that you can't always look for casting of girls that look like they could be actresses that maybe if you were really thoughtful about it, and that's not a knock to the casting people they have now, but I'm just thinking as an executive producer kind of type, you know, you're going to look for women that are, have written books about losing your grief or something like that, where it would seem like there's an organic emotional connection that they could have this really interesting conversation on television about what it's like to be in your twenties and to have some sort of cataclysmic event happen to you and how that forever changes the trajectory of your life because maybe they haven't lost a spouse, but they've had something experienced. They've experienced something in life where they think my priorities have forever changed and I'm no longer interested in dating. And the idea of being with somebody who has also lived a very complicated and interesting and rich life is very interesting to me. And that ultimately you know, maybe we're not going to be Instagram stars, but that's okay because I was Betty from Des Moines before and I'll be Betty from Des Moines after. I don't know. I, I kind of I also think that kind of this season, and I could be wrong, but I don't get the same thirsty kind of vibe from Katie. Like I, I don't get the sense and I could be wrong again that she's like other previous contestants where you think, oh my God, she's like contacting Revolve right now trying to get some sort of deal. I get that, like, she's almost like somewhat too normal. You know, it's it's almost like you're, you're watching the going, is this boring or is this because she's actually like pretty honest about wanting to actually find someone to have a future with? Yeah, it's tough to gauge because I know that she, you know, she was in banking before she quit her banking job in February she is set to move to San Diego. Um, she's talked about the fact that she is moving. So we just don't know. I guess we'll know more has in the future. she said why San Diego? That's like I think it's just she has friends from Matt's season that she became friends with that she hung out with pre-show. And I think she just likes San Diego. So we know that she's not going back into banking. And I don't know what her next step is in terms of work. But we know right. that she is moving. And she definitely quit her banking job in February. So I'd be interested to be. know from somebody in the entertainment industry, like what, what it looks like for a lead once the show is over. Like once the last episode airs, is it like a nosedive, like interest in you nosedives or at the end of the show, are do you have people clamoring to work with you because there's opportunities for hosting jobs and endorsement deals? Like yeah. what is the peak of your interest in you? Is it when you're announced when the show begins airing mid season or the day that you stop or, you know, the, after the rose ends. Well, I guess it's gotta be at the end of the show airing because you can't do anything, you know, spokesperson wise or anything. They don't want you doing that while the show is on, but I guess it would then just be more of a case by case basis. You know, it'd be, it'd be more of a, because it's very hard to say because some women have gone on to better careers in entertainment, the Rachel Lindsay's, the Jojo Fletcher's, the, Mm. um, that Tasha has done well for herself post show versus someone like Claire who hasn't done anything in the media. And um, Desiree really hasn't ever done anything in the media. Ashley Rosenbaum never did anything in the media. So I guess it's more of a case by case basis. We just never, we never know. Some clearly want to be on the hosting slash 
uh, entertainment side, whether it's you know recapping for a, a new news organization or being on the red carpet doing stuff, or now the big thing obviously is podcasting. Everyone wants a podcast, so it's tough. It's 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 a case by case basis because it isn't universal. It's not like if you become the Bachelorette, you will be successful post show. Um, so it's almost like strike while the iron is hot, and then while you get that opportunity, you need to make the most of it. What if they made Olivia Caridi the Bachelorette? I mean, she is somebody that is already familiar to Bachelor Nation people, and I just think she becomes all the more interesting and dynamic, you know, the older she gets. I love Olivia. Olivia is a good friend of mine, and um, I don't think she would ever do it um, just because I know that she had a obviously a very poor experience the first time around, and she has somewhat gotten that, I don't know, made up. It's been kind of cleared up. She's kind of made amends because she went on that reunion show last summer. But I don't know. I don't get the impression that Olivia would do it. And honestly, I don't think the Bachelorette would would go that far back to pull their next Bachelorette. She's been on she was last on five years ago. I just it's not a route that they've usually ever gone in the past. If I mean, I think the farthest back they've ever gone to announce their new Bachelorette was two seasons, and that was with Emily Maynard. And the only reason Emily Maynard wasn't the Bachelorette right after her season was because she got engaged to Brad at the end of her first season. They brought her back the following year. But everyone else in the Bachelorette world is fresh off um, the most recent season. So I, I don't see them going the Olivia route, and I don't, I don't know if she would do it. But who, who is the contestant that emails you the most? Previous contest, contestant, the one who's like... <laughs> Oh, like so if fired up about seasons engaged like loves what you do is just fully invested oh gosh um there isn't anyone that really blows me up that way in terms of tell me what's going on or what's the latest i'll have randoms that hit me up that are like hey i don't feel like reading your stuff today can you just can you just like streamline it for me who wins and who makes the final four like i usually get that on opening night by just randoms from the past. I know, um, and not to call her out, because she's a good friend of mine, but Lace does that occasionally. Lace Morris, who was on Ben's season and got engaged to Grant on uh, Bachelor in Paradise. She'll eventually, she'll, she'll usually send me a text, not every season, but every once in a while, like, hey, who wins again? Or who's the Final Four? And um, so she's someone, but she certainly is not someone that, you know, blows up my phone about it. Um, it's... Mm-hmm. It's kind of all over the map. It's it's tough to say. There's not one in particular that really that really does it. But um, okay, so I think that's I think that's enough Bachelor talk. I want to touch on a lot of other shows with you because okay. I know you watch a lot of shows, and yeah, I want to talk about some shows some some shows that I have thoughts on, some shows that I have never seen but I have a thought on, and then some shows that are upcoming. So first okay. off, let's talk about what has been airing that recently came out. Mm-hmm. ABC decided to run the celebrity dating game after The Bachelorette starting, I think, three weeks ago. They had Hannah Brown was the first one they showed. I watched that. I watched her 30 minutes and I've never watched it since. And I will never that watch that show again because it is <laughs> so hokey, so corny, so scripted, so not funny at all at, mm-hmm. at all. I mean, like it is painfully unfunny and it's just not I mean. I, I don't understand. I mean, <laughs> I think this is what Hollywood gets a lot of shit for is the fact that there's not a lot of original ideas. It's just a bunch of reboots. And right. ABC is kind of following that mold because hit, hell, half the shit on ABC 
is stuff that we watched in the 80s and 90s, and they're just rebooting. Pressure Luck is on, and uh, mm-hmm. Celebrity Dating Game. I mean, dating Game was big in the 70s and 80s with Chuck Woolery. I mean, I, what are they doing with this garbage? Well, I know well, it's cheap to make and whatever, but it's just, it's not good well, television. Two, two, th- two things are, one, is summer programming is a nightmare for them. Yeah. So they're hungry for content that you know, people will watch. So their ideas, you bring in someone like Hannah Brown and you have Michael Bolton singing that you're hitting eight different age demographics and you're more likely to have people to watch that than if you do like a Dateline episode or some made for TV movie. Um, but also Zoe Chanel, I'm sure is the executive producer. She's the host. And, you know, I think a lot of these celebrities are pitching shows all the time. People who are not on major television shows and have major agents, it's a lot harder to sell a TV show, but it really is much easier for a celebrity to do so. And that's how some of the shows are made. I just, I, I, I can't get it. I, like I said, I saw Hannah's and I'm like, I'm done. This is so I stupid. will say, I will say Michael Bolton does still have a very nice voice, but I just <laughs> don't understand the dynamic of like, I mean, obviously, as I just said, it's like an age thing hitting the age brackets, but I don't know how many, People in their 60s and 70s are like, oh, my God, I just want to see Michael Bolton on TV on a dating show. It's a little bit weird. Also, remember how many people became suspects that were on those dating shows? Like murderers. So it's like, I don't know if that's the show you want to reboot, um, especially with a 70s theme, but whatever. But, yeah, Hannah, I'm like watching that episode thinking clearly she's got some boyfriend back in Alabama and she's like, I'm just going to get this paycheck because this is so stupid. Yeah. And for those that are curious or whatever, I'm just looking, I haven't looked at the first few weeks, but last night's episode, I don't even know who the, who the people were that were on there dating. It drew 1.5 million viewers and a point three. Like it's, that's not, that's, I know it's summer programming, but that's not good at all. Like just cancel the show. It's garbage. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, I think the other, the other problem is it is it's like, We've seen so many variations of dating shows on any network and even some of the streaming services. It's like, what about this is compelling? There's nothing compelling about it because we know it's scripted. We know that I guarantee none of these people with the person that they chose ever actually went on a date with them or remotely interested in that. Like, it's just... When this when when the dating game was a show back in the eighties, now granted we're in completely different times and there's no internet back then. You watched it because it was funny. They would make fun of each other, and if it didn't work out, those were the best dates to watch because they would just insult each other uh, for five minutes. But I just the love connection was a great one. Yeah, love connection was awesome. You could you could hear them talk about it afterwards. My friend Brian Moylan lives in London, and we always talk about what's going on in London shows because it usually sets a precedent for what we're going to see in U.S. television. And there's a show there on the air in London called Sex Box. Have you ever heard of it? Sex Box? No. Okay. So there's a host. There's a studio audience. Two people walk out on the stage. They are introduced to each other. They're strangers. There's a box there. They go into the box, and you can just see their shadows, and they have sex. And the audience is kind of waiting for them to complete their sex. So you see the shadows moving. (laughs) Then when they're done, they come out. They sit next to the host on stage, and they discuss what the sex was like. What the? (laughs) Exactly. It's called sex box. Like. It's nuts, isn't it? I don't think you could even do... I mean, obviously, that's never going to be done on network television, at least any time <laughs> in the near future. I don't even think you could get away with that on a streaming service. Are these people mic'd in the bedroom, or you just see the silhouette? You see the silhouette. No, do they mic? I do forget. We hear, do they, do, they does mic'd. the audience hear them? 
Yes, they do. Yeah. And it's like they're smoking a cigarette on stage. They're like, yeah, well, but then again, no, I, yeah, I mounted her and then blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wait, what? I mean, it's then bonkers. again, then again, that's Europe where, you know, full frontal yeah. nudity is just is is normal on television. It's, it's a just, Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So I, interesting. I just we're, I well, can't I imagine we're going to see that anytime soon. I think soon that's out the here. weird thing is like Americans are so different about they, how they see shows. And then you see like too hot to handle where the whole premise is like. They're going to be in this resort and they're penalized if they are um, if they touch each other or consummate their relationship. And and this idea of like, is it possible to meet someone and to put off any physical to get to know them better? And just like, let's not pretend this is some like um, philosophical discussion. This is basically like, let's take really hot people and see if they don't bone by the time the show's finished filming. Um and it it does border on creepy because you know these people are like so desperate to be physical, and of course none of them really work out. In fact, the, the last season, one couple, I think they were pretty into each other right away, and they were physically attracted to each other and kind of pushed the boundaries and were penalized. They're actually still together. So the couple that kind of delayed it, they win the show, and they couldn't even make it to like hanging out post show at a resort in Mexico. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of insane. But then you look at um, uh, Love is Blind, and that got really popular because it was just a totally different view on dating. And I interviewed the executive producer, and he said, you know, I came up with this concept, and it was there was this excitement about it because it was unlike any of the other dating shows. And the way that they filmed it and the way they were able to get the the male contestants to really bond and they became friends and – and then you can see the dynamics of like when they all meet each other and they're like, oh, well, we're engaged, but I'm kind of hot for you. Like that was new and different. But I mean, how many new and different ways can you do dating and romance? It's pretty hard. Yeah, I that was the next show I wanted to talk about was Too Hot to Handle because I just finished, you know, season two. They released four episodes two weeks ago and then the final six episodes last week. And I watched it. And, you know, the first time around, I was like, this is interesting. It's because right. I was I was at a point where I was like, what more can we see in terms of dating on reality shows that we haven't seen some vari- variation of? And that was a new at least it was original. It was like, OK, you're all used to a bunch of hot people hooking up on an island. We're going to make them not hook up and we're going to penalize them if they do. I was like, OK. But then at the end of the first season, it was like 10 of them left and they ended up splitting seventy thousand dollars. I'm like. Okay, so they get seven thousand each, and then after taxes, you're making. I know. What, I thought the same thing. I'm like thirty five hundred. Like, yeah, they they got paid in waffles by yeah. the end of this whole thing. Yeah. And then the second season rolls around, and I watch it, and I'm like, okay, going along pretty much the same as the first season. Like, there's people that just can't keep their hands off each other, and then they're like, oh, we're gonna throw this giant twist in, and it's like, we're not gonna have multiple winners. We're only gonna have one winner, and you guys are gonna vote on it. I'm like. Yeah, like they do on Survivor and Big Brother. Like, that's not a big twist. We've seen that on every other reality show where the eliminated contestants vote on who they want to win. Like, okay. And some guy, and so they voted, and um, Marvin ends up winning $55,000. It's like, okay, decent, you know, decent paycheck that he got for this past summer or whenever they filmed that. And um, what do the other people get? I mean, outside of Instagram fame and, uh, you know. Yeah, nothing. Few of the women are all over, already over three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand followers. But again, it's like, what is the payoff of that show? And I can't imagine when it comes back, fine, because I know they have a season three coming. 
Um, I don't know when, but I know they filmed seasons two and season three almost back to back. It's like how yeah, and how much feel- different is it going to be? It's going to be the same stuff. Hot people mm-hmm. saying they were, you know, oh, I don't want to, oh, we can't do this, but oh God, I'm so horny. Let's, you know, let's go in the shower. Like, well, that's what the show think- is. There's this panic for these contestants because they're like, I have to maximize the amount of time that I'm on camera because I, I'm going to be reliant on the income that I can generate from being a superstar on Instagram to get me out of the shitty job that I have or make the dream of becoming you know, a movie star that I've always envisioned for myself. And that window is pretty small. I mean, I just interviewed Bronwyn from Real Housewives of Orange County, and she was the first person that I've ever had acknowledged that they are addicted to fame. And now that she's no longer on the show, she was like, you know, I'm a, she said, I'm an alcoholic. I have addiction issues and I was addicted to fame. And I really was reliant on the likes and the comments and the feedback and the attention. And it's a really difficult pill to swallow, so to speak, no pun intended, because, you know, I've got addicted to fame. So you imagine that's just a pretty niche audience, the housewives. Mm-hmm. The Bachelor is like supersedes that fandom. Sure. By great measure. And so if you take a, you know, somebody who was a substitute teacher or worked in construction and then they go on the show and then they have 500,000 followers and then the next season airs, they're already frustrated because they got a high off of the attention they were getting. So they're very aware of like there's a short window of time and it creates a lot of anxiety and panic for those contestants, which is insane because those of us who are like real jobs, they're like, can't relate to that at all. Well, and they know that once the next season rolls around, every new season after them makes them less relevant because it's like, right. oh, these are the new pushes girls. It's down, the- yeah, pushes them back down the hill. And they're yeah. like, shit, there's no way I'm going to be on Bachelor in Paradise if I was on the show, you know, two seasons ago. And I remember I ran into a couple of them. I think I maybe mentioned this before. I, my friend has a spa, so she does facials for all the contestants. And I saw a couple of them and they were like, have you heard any news? As if I've got like a Watts line to ABC. <laughs> like, have you heard anything? Am I going to be on Bachelor in Paradise? And I just kind of felt like, oh, that must be a lot of their day is the, uh, occupied by, am I going to get a call from ABC? Well, the thing is, if they're asking you, then the answer is no. Like, if, <laughs> if you haven't gotten a call, then they're not interested. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know at what point they asked you this, but, you know, filming, I mean, filming's already over for Paradise, but they start in April, uh, late April, early May is when they start getting serious about, you know, finalizing that cast because they started filming um, first week of June and they ended, I believe, on the 25th or 26th. So, yeah. You I, know, I have a friend who should be a, either the lead bachelor or a contestant, and here's why. He's straight, gorgeous, and he's a psychic medium that helps law enforcement solve cases. And his name's Jonathan Mark, so people can look him up, Jonathan Mark Medium. I think it would be compelling to have somebody who's like a little grittier and who has an ability like that because the contestants are trying to convince him in scenes like, I'm really serious about you. But in the meantime, he's getting feedback from like their long lost, you know, relative that's saying, you know, she did cheat on her last boyfriend. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. You wonder if it, that that would constitute the bachelor going out of their bubble and not, yeah. and not casting somebody that was on a previous season. The closest they've come to in the last 25 seasons was Matt James, but people still kind of had an idea of who he was because of his 
ties to Tyler Cameron. Um, I, I think people ultimately wanted every episode to be Matt and Tyler doing TikTok dances. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, okay. Um, okay. I want to talk about one of the housewives right now. And I'm, okay. and I'm bringing this up to you because I need your help. Not in terms of like, I'm so excited. <laughs> not in terms of like, you know, obviously getting a date or anything like anything like that. But I've come to the conclusion that I think one of the housewives, she's like my new favorite housewife. Yet I know absolutely nothing about her. I've never That's watched this season. I have no idea if she's a villain. I don't know if she's well liked in the franchise. I couldn't uh-huh. tell you her husband's name. I couldn't tell you where their wealth comes from. Um, I don't know their kids' names. Nothing. I just see her, I, you know, as much online reading as I do, whether it's Us Weekly or People or EW, I just see the name all the time, and I see her picture attached to it, and I think she's really, really good looking. So are you ready? I'm okay. going to tell you who I'm it is. I'm ready. I'm so excited. Actually, okay. you, know what? you know what? I want you to guess. I'll give you three guesses. Yeah, yeah, give me clues. I love it. Okay. Oh, I don't want to give okay. you clues. If I give you a season, you'll guess it. So... I don't want to give you clues. I can't give you clues because I know nothing, nothing about her. So just take take okay two guesses of who you think I think is hot in this franchise. Okay, so are you? Is this person on the East Coast or West Coast? I that, that'd be a, that'd be a pretty good clue if I said that. Um, hmm. I, I want you to uh, under forty. I don't even know how old she is. I no idea. I know blonde, nothing about this woman other than pictures blonde, that I've seen. Blonde hair. I don't. I, <laughs> um. Okay, I'll give you that one. No, not blonde. Oh. Oh. Um. Husky voice. I have no idea what she sounds like. I've never heard her speak. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> this is literally someone that okay, I've just seen right. enough stories where I'm thinking, like, wow, she's really good looking. And what's the what tell me one thing that popped up about her besides that she's good looking what it was it about I, her that you like raise your antenna th- nothing because i don't i don't know what she does i don't know what she sounds like i don't know i don't know anything other than what she looks like and which which housewives franchise she's on that's it that's all i know okay you just have to tell me and then <laughs> I, I can tell you everything okay go okay melissa gorga Melissa Gorga has been married for a very long time to her husband, Joe Gorga. They live in suburban New Jersey and they have three children. Melissa uh, is basically the younger uh, sister-in-law of Teresa Judice. Teresa and her brother, Joe, were raised in the quintessential New Jersey Italian-American family where they're very – under the thumb of their parents and it's all about family, family, family. So when Teresa and her husband got married, the, her husband, also named Joe, Joe Judice, spent an enormous amount of time with the parents. And it caused a lot of frustration between her brother, Joe, and uh, Joe, her husband, because it was like, is our dad trying to replace me with him? So you've got those issues. Melissa and Joe got married, and Teresa never really enjoyed melissa she kind of felt like she was not only just taking her brother away from her but kind of like on her coattails like are you trying to be like me so if you go back and i hope that you do you watch real housewives of new jersey's earlier seasons because in the first kind of like first season of the show Teresa's like a stage mom her husband's paying for furniture with cash and you're like something's up to no good and then it's revealed that they have 
the husband has frauded the government with yeah. loan documents. And of course he goes to jail. But in the early seasons, there's a scene where Melissa Gorga and her husband have a christening for their son. And this whole family drama is playing out. And Joe Judice, Teresa's husband and Joe Gorga get into this huge fist fight. And Melissa's kind of in the background. So for many years, it was like Teresa hated Melissa because she was like, this is my show. And now you're on it. And like, you know, beat off and also like stop trying to be like me. And you have seen, if you watch from the first kind of seasons that Melissa's on, she's sort of this, well, she is a subservient wife. And she at one point wrote a book about like how the art of being the subservient wife and which great, which is great about Melissa. And I'm glad that you like her. Now you're seeing the best version of her because she has realized, especially in the last season and year, that she has been emboldened by the fact that she gets an enormous paycheck for being on the show. And because of it, has had all of these career opportunities, including owning her own boutique. And that her husband, who works in construction, does not make even a, an inch of the amount of money she makes. So at first, she was like, I'm just in the background. Oh, I forgot to point out. She at one point wanted to be a midlife pop star. So he built a recording studio in their basement. And she had like a one hit wonder ish adjacent where she had like backup dancers from like the local like community center, which was like a a fun walk through history. Um, But now they fought all season because he's very like a a lot of this machismo. But I think that what's behind it is that he is so insecure about the fact that his wife is really well known. She's become even more beautiful with time and she has this really strong voice and he's really insecure about it. So they're at a difficult time in their marriage because she's not reliant on him in the way that she always was. And I think that that's what makes their story pretty compelling and by all means seems to be a very, very nice person. Well, that just about sums it up. I mean, I don't know if I can remember yeah. all that, but wow. She's really, she's very, um, she's got great style and is yeah, she, she's among is she the three looked kids. at as a villain in this franchise or no, it doesn't sound like it. Um, I think that people think that she's too much of a, like a wuss when it comes to Teresa. Like it, the, mm. the consensus is like Teresa runs that show and the show is all built around Teresa and Teresa divorced her husband and he lives in Italy now, but they meet up in the Bahamas because that's the only way to, to for him to see his kids. If they don't like fly to Italy, yeah. which is crazy. And so Joe Judice is like a little meatball, like a small guy with like, like a steroid body. Right. Yeah. Um, I've seen and, and now she's probably going to get married to this guy named Louie. And what you need to do is look up on Instagram because Louie, um, participated in this warrior weekend where you go once you've like probably cheated on your wife or girlfriend and you're surrounded by other men who lift you up and tell you, you can make this work. So you make basically videos. And so one got leaked and my friend Ronnie Karam from watch what crop and says it was probably some queen who worked at the facility who leaked the video <laughs> because Louie is in the video. And he's like in his Jersey kind of kind of accent. He's like, yo, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like, let's make this work. But it was for a previous wife or girlfriend. Oh. And his ex-wife or ex-fiance, one of which, put has been doing the rounds of media because she says he was narcissistic. And she's on this, like, mission to um, to highlight narcissistic men in our culture. And it's just bizarre because you have her complaining about that, the leaked video, 
And then Teresa is convinced that he's the next husband and he totally ingratiated himself with the cast. And it's like, he's may as well be holding like an apple or a wrench or whatever they hold in New Jersey, a slice of pizza. And he like loves the limelight. And so a lot of these, Oh, um, uh, the ex, the exes say he's a sex addict. And so Teresa's whole thing is like, she's constantly talking about how they want to bone all the time. But then, you know what? The Gorgas talk about that too. That's what I don't, it's weird because they have these three kids. And so George or George, Joe Gorga will basically slap Melissa's butt. And he's like over sexualizing her. Like, that's my, that's my wife. Like we, we have sex all the time and it's like really nauseating, but then he has a daughter and he's like, she's not going to date till she's like 30. And you're like, okay, wait, what? So I think if you jumped in and started watching, you should watch the early seasons when they had so many family problems because that's my favorite, like weird family dynamics. And then the, I guess if she was on the, if she had an album cover and I'm sure that she would like to have an album cover because she did have that studio in her basement, it would be like the re-emergence of Melissa Gorga. It would be her like rising through the ashes. Like she's found her voice in the world. So listen, Steve Carbone, if she doesn't make it work with Joe Gorga, there is a possibility that you could, you two could make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not what I was looking for, uh, but um, <laughs> she can off, wear a gold hoop. She how, can wear a gold hoop and a bathing suit. She can work it. She's a gorgeous lady. Yeah, no, that's like I said, it's the only thing I know about her from just seeing her in so many pictures and seeing her online. Um, Does that I, mean you're single right now? Oh, yeah. No, I've been single for a while. Okay, so you're on the prowl, so we need yeah. to get you a lady. Okay, I'll be, um, I'm going to keep my eyes open for that. Um, how many seasons of New Jersey have there been? Oh, God. Hmm, I don't know. I'm going to make it up. 12, 13, has 14? She, and she's been on every season? No, she didn't. She joined maybe like season three, which is funny because in the first season, uh, Teresa and her husband built this monstrosity in New Jersey suburbs. It was like a marble palace that like no one would ever want to live in. And I wouldn't be surprised if 48 Hours Mystery did an episode because there were bodies in the backyard. I'm not even kidding you. So anyway, if you watch that first season, they had some sort of family event and you can see them in the background, but it's like they're shuffled to the side. It's like, don't let my handsome younger brother and his very attractive wife get in the camera angle because you know i don't want them yeah. on camera and she would apparently like be really vicious to her offline so when they hired so there's this other woman named danielle Staub, and you have to look up her instagram because she's bananas she's probably like in her 60s now i know, I know she, the name from yeah just... she's just very sexual and like flirty and just like she owns her like she's like a she she knows her beauty you know what i mean like fascinating person to watch so they she was on the show too and when you're introduced to danielle staub it's she's like uh you know maybe she was like 40 when they're filming this and she's in a bikini and they have like stripper music kind of as she's walking around her pool and she's like you know basically like people are intimidated by my beauty and all this stuff anyway she got close to melissa off camera because she hated teresa that's why housewives is good for shit like this. Mm. And so she basically figured out a way to get under Melissa's skin so that Melissa would give her the goods. So when there was a reunion episode and Teresa was attacking Danielle, she goes, well, what about your sister and how you didn't like call her when your nephew was born or something? 
And that realization on Teresa's face, like you have gone behind my back and contacted my sister-in-law whom not only I despise, but I do not want on the show. And you've crossed a boundary. And sure enough, Melissa was in the next season because those producers are smart. They're like, Oh, this to see a woman unraveled because she doesn't want her sister-in-law to be on the same show is pretty much TV gold. So that's the biggest realization that I got from you out of this. I had no idea that there was a, <laughs> so good, right? I knew, I know who Teresa is. Cause I used to watch her on, well, I didn't used to watch her. I, I mean, when I used to watch, you know, Lord strike me down now, Celebrity yeah. Apprentice. I mean, I saw her on that, but I knew the name because she was always in the news. So I knew the name. Yeah. I remember the, the the clip that circulated all the time of the table flip. I remember that was her. Um, but I, I didn't watch the show. I had no idea until you just mentioned it. Now I had no idea that Teresa and Melissa are related. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know it was wild. It. Well, okay. So two beautiful women in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, it was, it, I, it was something I saw, I, I saw something online, a story about the Gorgas a couple weeks ago. And then I kind of went down a, a mini rabbit hole where I was like, wow, she's really attractive. Yeah. But I knew nothing about it cause I never watched the show, never heard her speak, you know, checked out her Instagram. I'm like, yeah, you know, she is. It wasn't just a good one photo that I saw. Didn't have like a good angle or something like that. Um, it was, she's really attractive and that was it. That's all I knew. So I wanted to bring it up to somebody well, who I that- know was a that's housewife the title, fanatic. That's the title of your episode, Steve Carbone and Melissa Gorga. <laughs> yeah, this Melissa, is this is gonna now be now you gotta watch the episodes and then have Melissa on and talk about it. Uh, yeah. Her I, like her role on the show. That'd that's be pretty too cool. many seasons to get caught up on. I um, bet you I bet you she watches The Bachelor too. Well well speaking of too many seasons and, and, and here's that here's a problem that I'm running into as we get to talking about we, we wrap it up talking about these final two shows. Big brother and Love Island uh, by oh, the time this so by the time this podcast airs, we'll have started last night. Yeah, um, we're recording this on Tuesday, so we don't know. The only thing we know is the cast that was released, and um, there's only so much you can make out of the cast. However, the fact that these two shows are running this summer, um, two years ago, Love Island started airing in the U.S. and it Ooh. never really took off. Last year, I think it got a little bit right. bigger, but also because I think it was during the pandemic. Like last year, there Ooh. was just nothing on. At this time last year. Claire was filming her season, so I didn't have anything to watch. It normally would have been Claire's season airing in July mm-hmm. and August, but she was filming in July and August. So last year, I watched Big Brother and Love Island every night. Well, Love Island every night and Big Brother three times a week. And now I'm wondering, how am I going to do this? How am I going to watch Katie's season, watch mm-hmm. Big Brother three days a week, and watch Love Island every single night? How am I going to do this? But Somehow I'm going to because I'm looking well, forward I, to both of them. Do you like one better than the other? I like them both the same. Okay. I think that it's easy to do because it's more it's almost like Bold and the Beautiful or Days of Our Lives where you don't necessarily have to watch every episode because at the beginning of the episode they, they always recap. do a recap. Yeah. And you can easily go on to like Entertainment Weekly and read the recaps to kind of catch yourself up. Um so that's not a problem. I also have friends that watch the for Big Brother they watch the live, the live videos yeah. and there are great people on Twitter who kind of give you the updates on the live feed. So you don't even have to. Oh, and yeah. then, um, you know, Rob, um, has a great podcast. Rob is a podcast that covers big brother. So even if you don't watch an episode, you can kind of listen to his episode and go, okay, I'm like, I'm caught up. Yeah. And it's weird because I'm, I'm, I've, you know, the first season of big brother that I ever watched was two seasons ago, which has been 
ultimately universally described as one of the worst casts ever. <laughs> just so happened that, you know, yeah, my, yeah, my last it just so happened that my last girlfriend came from that from that cast. And now would she tell you like, oh, this is what's going on behind the scenes or this is what and it didn't make you look at the show in a different way. Well, well, Kat and I started dating last April. So it was two months roughly before last season's Big Brother aired. And then we usually on the Wednesday episode, she was here. So we'd watch it and she'd go live during commercial breaks and I'd be on the couch and we just I just learned a lot more about the show watching it with her. And then I learned about the Twitter accounts that literally have people sleeping in shifts and covering the live feeds and telling you every every conversation that's happening. I'm like, okay, this is if you really want to do a deep dive, you can really get deep into the weeds of Big Brother. But even though I'm the spoiler guy, I kind of didn't want to know. But but being (laughs) with Kat last summer, it was impossible not to know who won head of household and who won yeah. the comps. It was just impossible because she would tell me either in a text or she would come over before the episode and be like, oh, so-and-so is going to win. And I'm just like, okay. And, you know, I, I was fine with it. Um, so so that part of it I'm kind of interested in is like when it starts, am I? how much am I going to follow it online or I'm just going to wait for Wednesday, Thursday, and Sundays? I, I haven't decided yet. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm almost positive I'll end up hearing or I'll at least want to look who won head of household or who won comp. But this year it looks like they're changing up the format a little bit and they're having, they're having teams and all this stuff. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I haven't decided how I'm going to do it, but um, love Island, you know, other than it's moving out of Vegas from last summer and this year, they're going back to Hawaii. That's going to be pretty much the same thing as I don't think there's going to be any sort of major twist on that show. It's it's, it's very slow moving. Yes. So I, I think you could even watch one episode and then catch up by the end of the week. Yeah. Um, and Ariel is very funny. So that's worth it just well, to watch for her as a host. But um, it is a slow moving show. Well, Ariel is funny on Instagram. They don't give her, she, that that hosting gig. They don't give her any. Her role isn't to be funny. It's just to come in and, you know, introduce people. I wish I wish they would let Ariel be Ariel on that show, but they don't. She just kind of You know what? That, why? Because they they run the risk of the contestants falling for her. <laughs> well, she's engaged to Matt. I don't think that's going to happen. Nobody's But it's still me. like they're like they're going to be like, "Oh my god, she's here." And, you know, these machismo guys are probably yeah. like, "I don't care if she's engaged <laughs> or married. Like I can convince her i think i think her and matt have some of the best instagram content out there and it's really like they're they're funny as hell i i but like even with tasha like every time tasha walks in the door and katie sees it i'm like some of these guys are more into tasha than they're into katie i i think somebody put up a picture last night of james they did a freeze frame of james the box guy when uh tasha walked into the room and he was almost literally undressing her with his eyes so yeah um, yeah, so I'm, you know, it's a, it's a summer of TV. I've got bachelorette and now as of last night, I'm going to have big brother and love Island. Uh, I'm going to have to get caught up a lot on the weekends. I think that's, what's going to happen. I'll watch big brother first because it's not on every night. I'll watch the Wednesday, Wednesday episodes, watch the Thursday episodes. And then probably on Saturday is when I'll get caught up on, yeah, that makes on, sense. on love Island stuff. It's just, it's just so much. Um, but... I, have, I have I have a list that I put out every week. 
on all my socials, but also you could go to katecasey.substack.com because I do what to watch every week. And I give people between like six to nine options of things to watch every week. And like I call lists from all the streaming networks and broadcast networks, like what to watch. Um, but certainly this week's, uh, Love Island and Big Brother are on it. But if you're like, I need to dip out of like a romance show, you can always look back to that list. And I always give options like true crime, sports, historical stuff, documentaries, anything in unscripted television. Okay. Can you answer this question real quick before we head out? Mm -hmm. There's a trend on TikTok right now in regards to watching episode three of a show called sex life on Netflix. What is this? What is this that people are watching? Everyone's telling you to fast forward to a certain point. What what am I missing? So my friend Lindsay has Lindsay Graham. Hi. Um, My friend Lindsay explained to me why people are so obsessed with this show. By the way, it's a scripted show because it has someone trying to figure out if the person of their past was their real soulmate and going back and exploring that. Mm. And it's basically like a porn. So you're finding people that are obsessed with it are people that maybe in their marriages or relationships, there's a part of them that's still pining for that person of the past. And that show explores it. And that's why you got to watch it. But she basically was like, it is like, you know, pretty intense. So that's why people are into it. Okay, because there's a trend on TikTok that oh, I keep seeing in my couple, feed. And the couple got together in real life. So apparently, so Lindsay was like, oh, I was like looking up her Instagram and she was like married before and now she left her husband for the guy that she is plays opposite against in the show. Oh, oh, that's, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's like a reality TV move right there. Okay. Um, all right, so that wraps it up for that. I just wanted to know what... <laughs> What what it was I I I didn't know that's the premise of the show. Yeah. Haven't watched it that's yet. That's what but. everybody. If you're gonna watch scripted show, everyone's like, that's the show you have to watch. Listen, we all of us have a lot to do this summer, which is good because people need really fun television viewing. Like I think we all deserve it. Yeah, especially after last year. Like I was just yeah, I never fun. went anywhere last year, and now it's like the summer is here and. I've got three shows that I definitely need to watch starting, well, so, you know, started last night with, with Big Brother and, and you Love need Island to go. Me. You need to go out into Dallas and go to restaurants and bars, then come home and watch it. So you feel like a full experience. I've been out, I've seen <laughs> friends, and now I can come home and re- rest and watch people making horrible romantic decisions. There we go. Um, Kate, thank you so much for thank coming you. on. Always fun talking to you. I will be Always. on yours. Uh, momentarily briefly and i'll be on your podcast as well this week so thank you for having me on and you know you're always welcome on this show and we'll bring you on again in the future love it thank you steve thanks kate thank you so much to kate for coming on i really appreciate it she's always been a great guest i think she's the first double guest in 2021 we've had i believe she was on in february Uh, but she's always fun to talk to very knowledgeable in the tv world and i knew that she could give me (laughs) I mean, you talk about a history of Melissa Gorga. My gosh. Like, I know everything about Melissa Gorga now. Um, but yeah, my, my liking to Melissa Gorga has nothing to do with anything other than I've seen her in stories and thought she was attractive. I know absolutely nothing about her, her history on the show, what she sounded like, what her kids' names are, what her husband's name was, what he did, nothing. But I knew Kate would. And she certainly filled me in. So thank you to Kate for that. Thank you all 
as well for listening. I'm going to be on Kate's podcast, I believe, next week. Uh, we already recorded it, but I think it's going to run, or maybe it's running this Friday. Can't, I can't remember if she said this Friday or next Friday, but check it out, Reality Life with Kate Casey. Thank you all for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. I know I've said that for 240-whatever podcasts, but trust me, it does help. So please rate and review on that. It is much appreciated. Thank you to Kate for coming on. Again, thank you all for listening. And uh, again, we'll be chugging along and doing another one next week. So for Kate Casey, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. And we will talk to you next week. See you!